The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. After Jesus had finished saying all these things to the people who were listening, he went into Capernaum. A centurion servant who was valuable to him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him because he loves our nation and he built our synagogue for us. Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself because I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he was amazed at him. He turned to the crowd that was following him and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And when the men who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. It is difficult to amaze Jesus Christ. It does not happen very often that Jesus marvels at anything. But in today's gospel, it happens. It happens that Jesus is amazed because of a request that is made of him, and not so much the request itself, but Jesus is more amazed at how this request is presented to him. So you are about to hear the story of marvelous faith that makes this request of Jesus, but even more importantly than that, this is about what is in Jesus. What quality there is in our Savior Jesus that inspires this kind of trust, that calls this kind of faith out of a human heart. So this is first the story of Jesus' authoritative word, and then also the marvelous faith that it causes. So we are up in Capernaum, which is in Galilee, in the northern part of Israel, where Jesus spends the bulk of his ministry And at this time, the Roman Empire is the dominant world power. They occupy all of Israel, including this northern region of Galilee, this town of Capernaum. And the Romans have soldiers and commanding officers stationed throughout the entire country, including in Capernaum in Galilee. And one of these commanding officers that we meet in the story is a centurion. A centurion had command not always exactly a hundred, they didn't always keep it exactly at a hundred soldiers, but roughly somewhere between about 70 and 200 soldiers. This centurion is a man with power. He knows a few things about control. He didn't get to where he is in life without understanding a few things about how authority works. And this Roman centurion has a servant who he finds very valuable, and the servant is also very ill. It appears that he is about to die. The centurion has heard of a man named Jesus who is going around preaching about the kingdom of heaven, blessing and healing in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And it happens 
that this preacher and healer, Jesus, is right there in Capernaum on this day. So the centurion sends messengers to Jesus to ask him for help, to ask Jesus to heal his servant who is about to die. Now, as you are listening to this story, the question may have occurred to you, why doesn't the centurion go to Jesus himself? That's what you're supposed to do, right? When you have a really important request to make, you go in person and you make it eyeball to eyeball. So why doesn't he do that? Well, there's a a couple possible explanations for that. One is that this servant wasn't just valuable professionally to the centurion, but maybe the centurion actually loved this servant, cared about him as a human being. And if that's the case, you don't leave a person's side who you care about when it looks like it might be the closing hours of their life. That is a possible explanation. It is also possible that this had to do with race. See, living in Israel, the centurion understands Israelite culture, that Jewish people see Gentiles like him as unclean and inferior. And if he went to Jesus in person and forced Jesus to deal publicly with a Gentile like him, that could make Jesus lose face. So it was more deference, politeness toward Jesus' Jewishness. That's also possible. Either one or both of those explanations could have had something to do with it. But most importantly, we need to let the centurion tell us himself why he did not go to Jesus in person. And later on he will, in his own words. The reason he does not go in person is because he is not worthy to go to Jesus in person. So instead, he sends Jewish leaders, elders of the synagogue, they go to Jesus, and they plead the centurion's case for him. He is worthy of having you do this for him because he loves our nation and he built our synagogue for us. Now it seems that these elders of the synagogue have their theology not quite straight. Their ideas here are a little bit tied in a knot. We do not go to God with our requests for help, our requests for healing, because we are worthy to do it. If that were the case, we could never go to God with any requests at all. In Luther's Catechism, under the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, which says, forgive us our sins, it says this, We are worthy of none of the things for which we ask in this prayer, neither have we deserved them, but we ask that he would give them all to us by his grace, for we daily sin much and deserve nothing but punishment. And that statement is absolutely biblically true. We do not go to God for help or healing or anything else because we are worthy. We go because his heart is gracious to answer us and to heal us. Do you know a better way to understand the goodness of this centurion his love for the Israelites, building a house of worship for them in Capernaum, is not that the centurion was trying to make himself a worthy person, but instead, these were the fruits of his saving faith. This centurion lived in Israel. He came in contact with the religion of the Israelites, the scripture of the Old Testament, and the Lord brought him to faith in the true God. And then his love for the Lord's chosen people Building a synagogue for them, these were just the fruits, the flowers of his budding faith. You know, this phenomenon of Gentiles coming into contact and honoring and believing the religion of the Israelites, this is something you actually see quite a bit in the New Testament. The New Testament has a name for these people. It calls them God-fearing Greeks or God-fearing Gentiles. People who came to hear about the Lord God of Israel and believed in him. They saw in the scriptures of the Old Testament, 
They saw laws that were shining more brightly than the decadence and the depravity of their pagan religions. They saw the glory of the Lord God of Israel that was far superior to their pagan gods, their fickleness and their human qualities that were imposed on them by human inventors. Basically, they looked at the religion of the Israelites, the faith in the Lord God of Israel, and they saw what was better. They saw what was true, and they believed it. That's what we have with this Roman centurion. Now, the messengers he sends, they don't quite understand that, but Jesus goes with them anyway to the centurion's house to help him. Before Jesus can even get there, though, the centurion sends more friends, more messengers out to Jesus with another message for him that starts like this. Lord, do not trouble yourself because I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now you notice what a complete contrast that is to what the elders said. Lord, he is worthy. The centurion says the exact opposite thing about himself. He said, no, no, no. Don't do this because I am worthy. The centurion has true humility in his heart, and God tells us in his word that he has mercy on the hearts of the humble. The centurion understands that in his earthly realm, he has all kinds of power. He has all kinds of worthiness as a centurion to boss people around and tell them what to do. But when he goes to God for help, he has no worthiness at all. That is why I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now when we go to God for help with anything, may he give us the same humility in our hearts that he gave to this centurion. But just as importantly... May God not only give us the humility of this centurion, but also the fully confident faith of this centurion. Faith that trusts that our Lord has both the authority and the mercy to heal us when we go to him for help. The Lord has authority to heal us, to heal our souls from sin because Jesus came into this world himself and he earned that pardon, that peace, the healing for our souls. Jesus came and he walked on this sinful earth surrounded by sinful human beings, but he never let once allowed that sin to touch him until he went to the cross and he took all the sins of the whole world on his shoulders and paid for them all, washed them all away. And on Easter, Jesus proved that our sins truly are forgiven by rising from the dead. Do we have confidence that Jesus has the authority to help us and heal us when we go to him? We also trust that he has the mercy to do it, that he cares enough to do it. Because at the bottom line, it was mercy in the heart of Christ that caused him to submit to his Father's will, to give up the throne of heaven, come into this world and earn that healing for us. And Jesus' heart is still full of mercy for sinners. He desires nothing more deeply than for sinful human beings to turn away from their evil and to turn to him for healing. May God give us the centurion's faith that our Savior Jesus has the authority and the mercy to heal us. Now the centurion uses his experience in life, his experience as a commander to explain where this confidence comes from. I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
See, this is really the marvelous insight. This is what the centurion gets about Jesus Christ. But Jesus comes from God. He is true God, so his word has divine authority to get done what Jesus wants it to do. That divine power of Jesus' word is the basis for the centurion's faith that says, but say the word and my servant will be healed. As I mentioned at the start, there are very few examples in the Gospels where Jesus is amazed or surprised, where he marvels at anything. A negative example that comes to mind right away is when Jesus was in his own hometown of Nazareth, he was amazed at their lack of faith in Nazareth. Another positive example happens to be another Gentile, a Gentile woman who persisted in her request for Jesus to heal her daughter, even as Jesus was testing her faith very firmly. This doesn't happen often that you get to see Jesus surprised at a person's level of faith. So the very few times that it does happen, we need to recognize this is exemplary. Perk up and say, what is it about this faith that God wants to see in my heart? He wants to see the humility of the centurion, that when we go to God, we recognize we are empty-handed beggars who have nothing coming from him, but also the full confidence that Jesus' word has the authority and he has the mercy to help us and to heal us. Now there is something else in this story that is very interesting and also important for Christians like you and me. And that is to recognize that Jesus' words maintain their healing power even when they are not delivered directly, even when they are delivered through messengers. As far as we know, as far as Luke tells us, Jesus and the centurion never do meet face to face. And yet, even though Jesus works through intermediaries, his word still has this full authority to do what he says. And that's important for Christians like you and me because Jesus doesn't deal with us directly either. He's never whispered anything into my ear, and I'm, I'm guessing he probably hasn't to you either. Jesus works with us. He delivers his word through messengers. But Jesus said to those messengers, whoever listens to you, listens to me. So, on Sunday morning, when your pastor stands in front of you, and in the name and by the authority of Jesus Christ, forgives you all your sins for Jesus' sake, you can know, in the words of the Catechism, it is just as valid and certain in heaven as if Christ dealt with you himself. When you sit at your kitchen table in your home, and you speak the love and grace of Christ to the people in your family, Jesus is there. Those are his words being spoken through you. You listen to a sermon. It's Jesus' sermon to you. Now, I have to be a little bit careful here so you don't think I'm blaspheming. I'm not claiming to be Jesus Christ. I'm not divine. But Jesus says, anyone who speaks in my name and speaks my word faithfully, it's me speaking through him. The elements of the Lord's Supper that will be consecrated in a few minutes by the word and command of Christ, you can have full confidence that Jesus' words are going to do what he says. My friends, Jesus loves you just as much as he loved that centurion and the centurion's servant. And his word has the power to heal you too. Take to heart Jesus' words of speaking, Jesus' words of healing that he is speaking to you today. Jesus' word 
backed by his saving work, has the power to heal you, body and soul, for eternity. To believe that, like the centurion, is marvelous. Amen.